Let us go into the history of the kings. What did God do for good kings that favored him? What did he do for evil kings? Yeah, yeah, the history of the kings. Chapter 19, verse 15. And when you get there, just say, God, you're doing a greater work. Let's go to the history of the kings. God's history recorded of what he did for kings that obeyed him, how he favored them, but also how he judged kings that disobeyed him. 1 Kings 19, chapter 15, 1 Kings 19, verse 15. When you get there, say, Lord, I love your word. We love your word, Jesus. And the Lord said to him, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Verse 17. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. What's happening here in the text? We know that Elijah, he is in a culture of corruption. Elijah is in a place where there is a passive king, Ahab, and a queen who is idolatrous. Her name is Jezebel. And Elijah, he is in the desert of depression. Elijah finds himself in the wilderness of worry he becomes a suicidal prophet. And God speaks to him, not in the earthquake, no. God does not speak to him in the wind. He does not speak to him in the fire, but he speaks to him in the whisper. The still, small voice. And he says, Elijah, go back. Watch this. And I want you to do something that outlives you. I want you to anoint two kings that you'll never meet. You won't do the anointing. It's very interesting. The word anointing is not ceremonial here. It's by declaration. It's not a ceremony that you and I would be accustomed to. Remember Samuel, how he anointed David to be king. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a declaration to say this is God's new chosen leader. And this would outlive him. How do we know that? Because in 2 Kings 
chapter number 8 and in 2 Kings chapter number 9, we see that Elisha, he is the one that anoints or he declares Haziel. And we see that Elisha, he is the one that sees one of the sons of the prophets go and anoint Jehu. So Elijah is in a desert of depression. He is in the wilderness of worry. God does not come in the wind. God does not come in the earthquake. God does not come in the flood. Elijah is in the midst of suicide and God comes in the whisper. And he says, I want you to do something that's going to outlive you. I want you to be the catalyst to a movement. I want you to be a culture shifter. And how does God shift the culture? Because judgment happens for those that were idolatrous. We see that the sword, we see that no one is going to be able to escape God's sword. But what else does God remind the prophet of? He reminds him of his revenge, but he also reminds him of his remnant. I don't know if I have anybody in here that's redeemed. How many are grateful that the redeemed says, see, this is your opportunity right now. Ah, uh, don't miss this opportunity. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm grateful that God always has a remnant in the midst of a corrupt culture. He has a remnant in the midst of our valley of the shadow of death. He has a remnant. I am grateful that I'm not by myself. Look at somebody. You're not by yourself. You're not by yourself. Come on, look at somebody. Help me preach. You're not by yourself. You're not by yourself. What else do we see in the text? We see Elijah. He goes to Elisha. Mm -hmm. Elisha's plowing. Elisha, what is he doing? Elisha is just being faithful over a few things. Elisha has got his hand to the plow not looking back and he's just working in the marketplace working he's being faithful and scripture tells us in the history of the kings that Elijah he puts the mantle on him now a mantle is more than just covering from the elements a mantle would have represented two things spiritually one authority and the other responsibility it's very interesting that people want authority, but they can't be faithful over a few things. It's very interesting that people want titles and positions, but they can't be faithful over a few things. It's very interesting that people want the seat, but they don't want the sacrifice. They don't know how to be faithful over a few things. How do you praise him when nobody's watching? How do you read your word when nobody's watching? How do you give him glory when a pastor's not around, an elder's not around, a deacon's not around? Do I have a Monday praiser in the room? A Tuesday praiser in the room? Oh, come on now. Do I have a Wednesday and a Thursday? And a, do I have somebody that knows how to worship him in spirit? And in truth, when nobody's watching, we're worshiping the audience of one. So Elisha, he's plowing. He's plowing. And a mantle comes upon him, something unexpected. What else would happen in this relationship between Elijah and Elisha? Let's go to 2 Kings chapter number 2. Let's start at verse number 8. 2 Kings. Chapter number two, verse number eight. And when you get there, say, Lord, I love your word. Oh, we love your word. It's sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Lord, we love your word. It's a sword. Oh, we love your word. We love your word. We love your word. 
Hallelujah. In the good times, I need your word. Come on now. Second Kings chapter two, verse number eight. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other. Till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Verse number nine. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Verse 10. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. Let's continue here in the text. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Verse 12. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw him no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the God? Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. What's happening here in the text? We see in 2 Kings chapter 2, we realize that God tells Elijah, first, I want you to go to Bethel. And then when he goes to Bethel, then God says, then I want you to go to Jericho. And then once he goes to Jericho, then God says, I want you to go to the Jordan. Isn't it interesting that when you just take one step of obedience, God has the ability to communicate to you the next step of obedience. Oh, isn't it awesome that we serve an awesome God that can then speak another step of obedience? How many know his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path? Elisha knows that there's something going on because the prophets are talking about it. They're talking about how Elijah's about to die. And then Elijah looks at him and says, well, I have a dying request. What do you want me to do for you? And it's interesting because Elisha's response, it takes Elijah off guard. He says, hold on for a second. You're asking for a very hard thing. You want a double portion of this? You want a double portion of this mantle? Do you understand the responsibility you're asking for? Do you understand the authority that you're asking for? So Elijah gives conditions to the calling. Says, if you can just hang out with me a little longer. And if you can be where I am when I get caught up. See, Elisha would have known that Elijah came suddenly. We know the text teaches us that there wasn't a long lineage with Elijah. No, no, no. And we know that when he was on the mountain, God came with the wind. He came with the fire. He came with the earthquake. And just as God came in Elijah's life, so it is, he took him away. And he receives the mantle. 
When he gets to the mantle, Elisha struck the water. Listen, he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the Lord God of George Bogle? Where is the Lord God of Pastor Broadway? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Where is the Lord God of Pastor Chris Brooks? I would like to preach a three-part series called Honoring the Past to Fuel the Future. We're going to honor our past, church, but why are we doing that? We're doing that to fuel the future. I don't care if you came in here with a Ford. Perhaps you drove up with a car from General Motors. Maybe you drove here with a car from Chrysler. Maybe you came in with a Maserati, maybe a Bugatti, maybe a Lamborghini. It cannot function unless you put fuel in it. Uh huh. And the fuel that God uses to get us to point A to point B is vision. Vision has been well said. It is a picture of the future that creates passion. Vision, it's when God pulls you close and whispers in your ear, do you see what I see? Isn't that what's happening in the text? Isn't that what's happening in Elijah's life? He's going through the desert of depression, and I don't know who you are in here. Perhaps you find yourself obeying God, but yet being threatened by the devil. Wasn't that Elijah's story? He was obeying God, but yet he was being threatened by the adversary. And what happens? The prophet becomes suicidal. I don't know who you are in here, and I don't know what your story is, but perhaps you have been obedient, but yet you feel like a victim. It was in the midst of Elijah feeling like a victim, God gave him a vision. Some of you have been victims to dysfunctional families. Some of you have been victims to a life that was far from God. Some of you have been victims. I want to encourage you that when you feel like a victim, God will open up your ears. When you are in the valley of the shadow of death, when you feel like you are in the desert of depression, just when you want to commit suicide, just when you want to slit your wrist, just when you want to overdose on pills, God is willing to say, do you see what? I see. Yeah, yeah. And what did he speak to Elijah? He told him, I am going to cause you to be a culture shifter. (laughs) I am going to cause you to be a catalyst to a movement that will outlive you. This is why it's important to know church history. This is why it's important to sign up for DBI. Because all of Christendom is a history of God using people to be culture shifters. All of Christendom is connected to God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Didn't it start in the upper room where there was just 120? 120 people crying out desperate. 120 people crying out afraid. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so afraid? Have you ever felt like not coming to church? Have you ever felt like not reading your word? And it's at that moment that God speaks to you and his spirit falls. Surely the history of Christendom is a history of God using people like you, people like me, not because
because of who we are, but because of who he is. God wants to bring you close. So for three weeks, I will be teaching a message. And for three weeks, I just want to help you answer one question for three weeks. One question. And the question is simply this. What is your vision? Can you do me a favor? Can you look at someone and ask them that question? Ask them, what is your vision? What is God whispering to you? What is God saying, do you see what I see? Don't be afraid of your desert. That's when he speaks the best. Don't be afraid of your wilderness. Did you know that God takes all of his friends to the wilderness? Ask Israel, he takes them to the wilderness. Ask Moses, he takes them to the wilderness. Ask Jesus, he takes them to the wilderness. Oh, I'm grateful for the wilderness. Don't despise your wilderness. It's in that place that you can learn how to tame some stuff. It's in that place you can learn how to deny yourself. It's in that place you learn how to worship. Anybody can worship him on a mountaintop, but show me somebody that can worship in the wilderness. Lord, I worship you not because of what you do, but because of who you are. I heard he was Jehovah. Oh, I wish I had some help. I heard he was Jehovah Jireh. I heard he was my provider. I heard he was Jehovah Nisi. I heard his banner over me was victory. I heard he was Jehovah Shammah, that he is the Lord, that God that's present. I heard that he is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord, my God, that gives me peace. Look at somebody and say, don't despise your wilderness. Don't despise your wilderness. God wants to whisper. God wants to whisper. Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. Uh-huh. He wants to whisper. Look at somebody and say, do you hear the whisper? I desire by the power of God and by his grace alone, through his word alone, these three weeks to help you answer one question. I just want one question answered. What is your vision? God doesn't use us because of who we are. God uses us because of who he is. Today you can hear the whisper, but also I want you to receive the mantle. We learn in our text that Elisha, he receives a mantle. He is at the right place at the right time receiving a mantle. He receives responsibility, but he also receives authority. It's very interesting here. It's interesting because what we learn from the text is this. He is plowing. <laughs> He's got his hands to the plow. The history of the kings teach us this, that he's just minding his own business. He's just ushering. He was just greeting. He was just knocking on doors. He was just obeying God in secret when nobody else was watching. He was a secret worshiper. And what he did in secret, God rewarded him openly and he received the mantle. What am I saying here? What can you take home from this? To receive a mantle, understand this. Leadership has nothing to do with title or position. Oh, I got the devil on the run now. I know, I know. Look at me. Look at me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Leadership has nothing to do with a, a title but a tile. Leadership has nothing to do with a seat. It has everything to do with sacrifice. 
Leadership has everything to do with servicing others. And that gives you influence. The person that has the mantle has the authority. And there are some of you that have a mantle on your life and you're wondering why things are so frustrating. Ah, some of you, you have a mantle on your life. God has given you responsibility and you're wondering why things aren't going the way they should go. You got to go through the desert first. You got to go through the wilderness first. And then when you get in that place, he can say, I want you to be a catalyst. When you get in that place, then he says, I want you to shift culture. When you get in that place, then God can say, I want to use you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am, you can. And hear the whisper. Receive the mantle. What else do we learn from our text? Elijah and Elisha. We realize Elijah did six miracles. My Sunday school class. How many did Elisha do? Oh, just see. Thank you. See, see, twelve. I heard twelve. That's why it's important to go to Sunday school. See. Uh huh. Uh huh. Multiplication. God wants to use you to multiply the gospel movement. God wants to use you to multiply. Our God is not the God of addition. Our God is the God of multiplication. He can take 120 to win 3,000. And then those 3,000 then win a 5,000. How many know that our God is the God that multiplies the gospel message? How did it happen in our text? It happened because Elisha, he understood what he wanted. A lot of you just don't know what you want. A lot of you don't understand, what do I really want? What would you do if time and money didn't matter? That's the theology of vision. <laughs> because when God sees something, time and money don't matter. Because he owns everything and he lives outside of time. And he uses you for a season and a time to prepare his purpose up under the sun. How many know that God wants to use you for such a time as this? Why not us? Why not Detroit? Why not now? Why not your family? You just got to hear the whisper. You just need to receive the mantle because God wants to multiply the gospel movement in your cubicle, in your corporate boardroom, in your classroom, in your neighborhood, in your family in your community. God wants to use you, not because of who you are, not because of who I am. God uses ordinary people. He can use a Peter to start a revival. He can use Moses to begin to deliver a people. God wants to use a people like you to be willing to say, God, I don't deserve the glory. God, I don't deserve the praise, but I want to do something for you that everybody in my community can see you are the King of Kings. That everybody in my family can see you are the Lord of Lords. That everybody in my workplace can see you're the Alpha and you're the Omega. You're the beginning and the end. I'm not trying to get the glory but I want to give you all the glory. I want to give you all the honor. I want to give you all the praise. God wants to give you a vision. Look at somebody and say do you hear the whisper? He wants to pull you close today. And he wants to paint a picture of the future that creates passion. What are you passionate about? 
What's the thing that causes you to stay up all night? What's the thing that makes you say, God, I want to see change? Why? Because transform people transform things. <laughs> transform people transform things. How do we transform things? It's by the gospel. And I don't know if you know, but it's the greatest message that I've known among men. How in the world can God take a knucklehead from the east side of Detroit? Thank you, Pastor Flint. How can he take a knucklehead from the east side of Detroit and bring him to a place like this? It's only because of the gospel. It's only because he still changes life. How in the world did you get here today? It wasn't by your own might. I wish I had a witness. It wasn't by your own power. It wasn't by your own authority. I wish I had somebody in here that can say, if it had not been for the Lord, on my side where would I be I know I might look cute today and I know I got this makeup on and I look all good but if you knew what I've been through you would give him glory if you just knew what I've been through you would praise him for me baby you would honor him for me if you knew my story if you knew everything that I've been through if it had not been for the Lord on where would I be? I would be strung out somewhere. I would be in prison somewhere. I would be six feet under. If it had not been for God on my side, where in the world? Where would I be? I know you think I got it all together, but I messed up. I just know a great carpenter. He can put everything together. I know you think I got it all together, but I'm broken in the inside. But I heard he's a great carpenter and he loves putting things back together. It's a great carpenter. Oh, he's a great carpenter. He changed a wretch like me. He changed a wretch like me. Now, some of you may think, well, pastor, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Well, let me ask you a question. Who gave you the boots? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the arms? Now, I know some of you may say, Pastor, you don't understand. You know, I pulled myself up. Who gave you the ability to wake you up this morning? Who started you? Uh, who put food on the table? Who put clothes on your back? I didn't do it by my own might. I didn't do it by my own power, but it's only by his spirit. When I think about the goodness, I'm going to just do this one. When I, I, I'm going to give y'all one more opportunity. I'm almost done. But when I think about the goodness of Jesus, I know I got a praiser in here. And all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. Thank you for a second. When I think about the goodness of, oh, I didn't come to look cute. I didn't come for you to say I'm all that. I came to give him glory because when I think about the goodness of Jesus, when I think about how he redeemed me, when I think about how he saved me, when I think about how he pulled me up out of the muck and the miry clay, I just got to say thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. Thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. Lord, you're going to use me not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Are. Let's hear the whisper. Let's receive the mantle. And let's multiply the gospel message to see 48227 transformed. To see District 7 transformed. 
I want to have a family meeting. You can be seated. I want to have a family meeting. I am the new spiritual father in the house, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you for the way you welcome my family. I'm not a guest speaker anymore. So that means I get to take off my belt. See, see. They know. Uh-huh. Watch it. Listen, y'all. If you're not a member of Evangel, we would love for you to be a member today. But we're going to have a family meeting, if that's okay. We're going to have an Evangel family meeting. And the family meeting is simply this. I want the homeless in this church. The family meeting is simply this. I want the alcoholic in this church. I want the drug dealer in this church. I want the prostitute in this church. I want the pimp in this church. I just got to keep it real. So you can't say that I never told you. I want the one that nobody wants in their church. I want this to be their church. I want the prisoner in this church because I believe that they can put heroin on the altar. I believe that the crack can go on the altar. I wish I had a witness. I believe that the divorce papers can go on the altar. I believe that the gun can go on the altar. I believe that at the altar, God alters you. So the question becomes, are we ready to receive people that don't look like us? They smell a little bit different. Uh huh. People that don't know our church etiquette. Oh, man, sit down. Are we going to have this meeting? I'm done. I promise I'm done. Look, y'all, we, we about to pray. Pastor Byron, can we go up, come to the altar? Because we're going to have to come to the altar. Because I know some of y'all, you know, you're... some of us were conditioned to maintain tradition.